Hello, everyone. Welcome to the ongoing Established series. We've been spending the last number of weeks looking at the ministry of Jesus, and this is really the climax of the story of the Bible. And so we've been looking at all different aspects of his message and his ministry. We looked at last week as kind of a segue into this week of how to respond to who Jesus is. And now we're going to be looking particularly at what his followers were like. And, uh, I, you know, as I, I was thinking about this, I was thinking about Jesus uh, interviewing Peter to come on staff at his church, you know. And so Jesus has his little clipboard and he's going through the different, you know, questions as he's interviewing Peter for a, for a job at his church. And the first one is, you know, tell me about your ministry experience. Uh, you know, have you been a pastor anywhere else? And, you know, Peter, of course, would say, no, I, I've never done that. I'm a, I'm a fisherman. Well, how about a youth volunteer? Have you volunteered in the church in any way? No, no, don't even know what a church is. So you've not even been an usher? No, I haven't, you know, done any of that. Uh, okay, fine. How about your ministry training? Is there a rabbi that you've studied under? Because I can't think of one. Uh, well, part of your job, the main purpose of your job is to fish for men. Have you ever done that before? He says, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't even know what that means. So I guess I, you know, I guess I haven't. And then he goes on, well, tell me about your education. Have you gone to seminary? Uh, no, no. Uh, grade 12 education? No. Grade 12 equivalency? Uh, no. Uh, I'm just mostly unschooled. I've never really done anything. You know, it's interesting, by the way, that um, uh, when I was taking Greek in seminary, um, my professor was describing how first and second Peter actually have quite poor grammar. Isn't that interesting? That a book of the Bible, you know, is, is God's divine words, and uh, Peter actually didn't write very well. And so, you know, it's true. He was, he was unschooled. And he says, okay, well, character. You know, character is the, is the most important thing. How about character? And Peter would say, well, actually, you know, I'm, I'm very impulsive. Uh, I can be quick-tempered. I don't always think before I speak. And uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to deny you at least three times. So just giving you a heads up, you know. Okay, well, how about pedigree? How about your, how about your lineage? Uh, did you come from Jerusalem? No. How about Rome? No, I'm, I'm from Galilee. Like, you just go through the list, and there's just nothing great about who Peter is. Basically, he was unqualified to be a, not just a follower of Jesus, but actually the the foundation upon which the church would be established. You would look at him and he wouldn't be our first choice. Uh, what's even perhaps more interesting than this is how Paul characterized the early believers. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Wow. Uh, not just Peter, not just those, you know, the 12, like, it, it seems like the foundation of the church was built upon very ordinary, unremarkable people who were actually described as being foolish. Now, foolish doesn't just mean, uh, you know, 
goofing off and doing funny things. The word for foolish in the Bible is a loaded word, and it's the opposite of what it means to be wise. So somehow, you know, uh, Paul is saying that we look foolish in our following of Jesus. And more than that, even our qualifications are just mostly an embarrassment. So the final question that Jesus might have had for Peter to be on his staff was, uh, okay, no ministry experience, no education, not even any pedigree, all right, character a little bit shaky, but tell me, are you a fool? And Peter would go, yes, I am. (laughs) Jesus would go, you're hired. That's my qualification for whoever wants to be a, a follower of mine. And, and serve me is you've got to know that. So what does this mean? Are we all supposed to be rebellious and ignorant people? Is that what's going on? Well, no, obviously not. But what it means is that we're foolish in terms of how the world sees us. That if the, the way that we live, the things that we believe, when the world looks at us, they would describe us like a fool. Just like how the Bible might describe them for being foolish, just the opposite here. But in the world's eyes, we would, they, we would go, they would look and go, this is just ridiculous. So what I'd like to do this morning is look at the characteristics. We look at three of them, and they're going to correspond to the problems, power, and plan that we talked about a few weeks ago. And we're going to look at the characteristics of foolish followers. Uh, what do we look like as we follow Jesus in such a way that it looks foolish to the, uh, to the world around us. The first one, well, if it's followers, we're going to follow. In Mark chapter 1, verse 17, we also looked at this a few weeks ago, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. That's that weird statement that, you know, what does that even mean? And then this is what it says in the next verse. At once they left their nets and followed him. Here's what's absolutely critical to establish in being a follower of Jesus is that it starts with obedience. Now, I listen to lots of people describe, and I do it myself, of what obedience is, and it kind of feels like obedience is a destination, not a starting point. It's kind of what we hope to get to someday when we get enough things figured out, we feel like we're healed and, and have enough knowledge and have had some practice. And, but what we find in Scripture is that followers of Jesus were first marked by their obedience. Uh, uh, you know, uh, fools know that they're ignorant. Or maybe they don't know. But Christian fools, we just know that we need help. We need somebody to tell us what to do, that we're, we're foolish and that we're just not, we know that we're not that smart. But when we look at the world, the number one problem in the world is that uh, they can exempt themselves from obedience. I'm, I'm kind of beyond that. That was, you know, 101, and, and I'm, I've, I've moved well beyond that. I've, I have some years of experience. I have some education. I have some respect in the community. I've moved my way up the ladder, the corporate ladder. And so really, 
to simply call me to a life of obedience would really be an underutilization of my creativity, my skill set. And so I'd like to start a few notches up, if you don't mind. And of course, Jesus says no to that. Um, others would say it's not so much that they think that they have too much qualifications, but they exclude themselves from obedience by having too little. And they'll say, you know, I just don't know that I can, I can perform well enough. I don't know that I can, I, I can live up to the standards. And, and I, I feel, um, you know, uh, confused and um, it's... Uh, I, I get overwhelmed very easily. And when, when people put pressure on me, I just get more and more anxious. And I'm just like a, a deer in the headlights and I don't know what to do. So I've got to be able to work through those things first before I'm ever going to be able to be obedient. And Jesus says uh, to that, no. No, actually, the only way that you'll get out of any of those things, whether you think you're too great or too small, is, uh, is to admit your ignorance, to admit that you're a fool, and to follow me and do exactly what I say. You know, it's so sobering when you look at what Paul tells the early church is he's incredibly specific. He says, follow my example. Like, first of all, that sounds arrogant of Paul, um, but follow the pattern of teaching that we've given you. This is, uh, this is remarkable and is largely ignored. Uh, forget the world, it's inside of the church. But this is what it means to be a fool, uh, you know, a foolish follower is to admit our ignorance and to say, I've got to start with obedience. That's, the, that's my first response is to do what he says. I can figure it out later, but I, I, a follower is somebody who obeys. It's just what it means. So let me ask you, uh, do you ever feel silly obeying God? You're at work. There's, you know, somebody returned an item that was, you know, it's unaccounted for. Nobody would know. You could take that. Uh, you know, it could be just your own secret. And you could look at something on the Internet. Nobody would know. You delete your history. You figure out a way around all of those things. Um, but you decide not to. You decide to, to, to tell somebody about Jesus and you just don't feel very qualified and you're afraid that if they ask you a deep question, they're just going to uh, embarrass you. Um, you let yourself be taken advantage of. Have you ever felt silly obeying Jesus? If you have, well done. Well done. Uh, that's an appropriate feeling. And it's part of being a fool for Christ. So uh, the first mark of a foolish follower is they obey first. It's the first thing that they do. It's how they follow. The next thing that we see, so that was in terms of, uh, of the, the problem, the, the, the primary problem that humanity has is a, a proud unwillingness to simply do what they're told. But the answer to that problem is to actually follow and obey right off the bat. The next thing that we see, and this is in uh, referring to the power that we looked at a few weeks ago, is to be filled. To be filled with the Spirit. This is what Ephesians 5.18 says. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, uh, drunkenness. 
Instead, be filled with the Spirit. What do we learn here? Is that there's a power in dependency. There's a power in dependency. It's actually the only power that matters. Every other power is an illusion of authority, an illusion of strength, and is not really true. Only as we're dependent upon the Holy Spirit do we actually have the kind of power that we need in order to love others and glorify God. It's fascinating to me that uh, the contrast between drunkenness and being filled with the Spirit, do not be drunk on wine, which leads to drunkenness, but be filled with the Spirit. What about, like really, why would you contrast those two things? Well, drunkenness can sometimes give people a false courage, a false power, that if you, if you want to do something difficult, you know, you, you, you get a little uh, inebriated and that somehow is going to make you a little bit more bold, not care so much about what other people think. Your filters will be churned down a little bit. It's a false courage. And this is the, this is what, again, what's characteristic in the world is a courage, a power that is actually ill-founded. There really isn't anything behind it. You know, people feel better about themselves if they have a particular kind of position. I, I, somebody just asked me to, to be a reference for them. And so I asked them, God, I was just curious because it's fun. You know, what's the, what, what's the name of the, the job that you're going to be um, applying for? And it was a really, it was long and really impressive. But she, of course, laughed at the end and says, you know, it's not really what it looks like. But we can think that, oh, I'm this, and I do this, and oh, wow, so you must have some kind of authority. And so we rely upon that. We rely on our education. Uh, uh, you know, where we, where we say, oh, you know, I have, I have this much knowledge in this area, and therefore you should respect me. Or I have a certain amount of talent. And because of my giftedness that's recognized in society, uh, particularly, of course, in the area of athletics, that somehow if, you're, if you have a natural ability for something and I put a little bit of effort into it, you're exalted for that. Well, that's fine, I suppose. But really, all of those things are a false sense of power. Worldly fools uh, want to take control uh, godly fools seek help. Worldly fools say, look at who I am. I am something. I've, I've, I've managed to, uh, to be a strong and capable person, and I should be respected for that. A godly fool says, I'm nothing outside of Jesus Christ. And were it not for his indwelling spirit, I would have nothing to offer you. Well, that's a little foolish, isn't it? Like, like who... Who thinks that the best way to have influence is to empty ourselves of our pride and dignity? But this is exactly what a foolish follower of Christ is like. So let me ask you in this regard, do you ever feel weak and needy of God? Do you feel like you're at the end of your rope and that the things that are facing you in life are beyond your ability? Well, God says to you, I'm proud of you for recognizing that. And I actually want to fill those places of weakness with my presence. 
the, the things that you might be embarrassed about and that you're, you're not very good at, God comes and says, God bless you for being that self-aware, for not trying to build your life on a, on a rocky foundation that's about um, bravado and, and, uh, and a false courage such as you would find in a drunkard. But you've recognized who you are and you see your foolishness. And for that, I congratulate you and want to uh, fill you with all that I am, with a, with a, a spiritual power. So what do we do? We, uh, the, the problem would be pride. And so we answer that by being obedient followers. We have this new power, the presence of the Holy Spirit, not a magic wand, but the indwelling of God. Well, what about, what's the plan? Where is all this headed? I think it's to do with fellowship. <clears throat> this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 1.9, and we talked about this at the beginning of the year, and I want to bring it back up again because I, I, I sense prophetically that this is, to, this is one of the things that needs to characterize this year in our church. You were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we looked at this word of fellowship, and it's the, the Greek word is koinonia. And koinonia is more than just hanging out together. It means to be in communion, um, participation, indwelling, uh, uh, fancier words like commingling. I mean, these are, these are strange theological words. But what they mean is that there's really no separation between God and us. That he is thoroughly in us and we are thoroughly in him. This is a remarkable thought. Because all of um, what we see in the world is, it, at least those who consider themselves to be spiritual, are all about a, a pilgrimage to God. And we see the opposite here, where God actually came to us, indwells us, incredibly humbling, um, but is exactly what we need. So this, then, is the only distinctive feature of a follower of Christ. We have proof of this in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized, here it is, that they were unschooled, ordinary men. Nothing impressive. Their resume would never get a job in any synagogue. Um, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and I've said often to God, I would, I would just love to have the conclusion of my life be that uh, people would look at me and go, you know, they would say of me, well, it wasn't too bright. Uh, I didn't really see lots of natural or talent or skills that he acquired over the years. And, but there's one thing that I noticed, and that he's been with Jesus Christ. That is, the, that is what I mostly hope for in my life. That that would be the only distinguishing feature of who I am. And I pray that this would be true for our church. I pray that at the, uh, you know, for however our church lasts, that they would look at us as a community and say they, they weren't the most attractive, 
the most skilled, the most profound, that they've walked with Jesus Christ. Don't you want that to be said about us? And that at the end of the day, uh, there would not be, be any attention drawn, drawn to our cleverness and that we've figured out a, a new technique for doing church and we've, we've mixed it up and, and we don't do church like all the other churches do. And, and that means that, you know, we're, uh, th th that was the key that unlocked our, our grand ex expansion and influence in the city. Oh God, let that not be true. That the only thing be said of us that we have uh, learned how to walk with Jesus Christ. So this is the plan. The plan starts with obedience, goes through being filled, and that it ends with koinonia. This is, where, this is what all of human history is moving towards, without exaggeration. That God is designing all of humanity to move toward, for those who, who, who are responsive and want it, but all, of, all of, of world history is moving to a time when God and humanity will be one. And God will walk among us and be our God and we will be his people. And there will be no distinction in fellowship, between, uh, be no distance between God and us. What a glorious day. That's worth, uh, that's worth persevering towards. Union with God. This already began now through the work of Jesus Christ. Listen to John 15, 15, describe it. I no longer call you servants. This is interesting now because we look at where it started. It started with obedience. Well, that's servanthood, isn't it? So there was a time when he said, you are just servants. But I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my Father, I've made known to you. And this is not just some intellectual knowledge. This is an intimate knowledge of the heart of God now being revealed to us. What a glorious privilege. Now, here's what's interesting about this. So, you know, koinonia, what an outstanding conclusion to world history. Uh, friendship with God. Wow. But it's interesting that the foundation for this friendship sounds a little foolish. If you want to be a friend with somebody, what would you do? Well, you would really prioritize equality, wouldn't you? And you would say that there's really no difference between you and I. We're, we're just the same. Nobody's better or worse. And so that's going to be the foundation of us being able to get along. And uh, I think that's a, that's a healthy way to think, but that's not, not what's actually being spoken of here. That if we want friendship with God that we would actually start by being a servant, that we would start by being needy. Like that's just very, very different. Why has this foundation that we would have of, of unity with God, why would it begin with obedience and dependency? Well, it's really quite simple that the, uh, the primary barriers to relationship are our, our sin and weakness, that we're not able to love him. So the two things that separate us from God is our sin. How is that remedied? Well, we do what Jesus says instead of what we say, and what he says is always loving. So if we want a relationship with him, we're going to have to do what he says. 
is the only way to know what love is. We can't have a relationship outside of that. But then even when we know what to do, we will feel incapable of doing that. Well, now we need to be dependent upon him for the grace of God that comes through his spirit so that we're empowered to love him. So it's actually quite perfect, isn't it? But it almost seems as though it's a backdoor interrelationship. But when we look at the gospel, it's the only way for that relationship to occur. So let me ask you then, do you long to be God's friend? When you look at the world, that just sounds foolish. That sounds like something you would, uh, you would need medication for. To think that, to want to be, and then to think that you are a friend of God. And to think that the way there is through being obedient and dependent. Well, that just sounds like an enmeshed, codependent relationship. What a horrible foundation. Well, Jesus says, no, it's exactly what you need to do in order to drop and forsake all the things that undermine love and relationship for you to be rightly engaged with me. But do you long for friendship with God? Does that motivate you? When you go throughout your day, do you want him there with you? Or do you prefer to have moments where he would go away so that you can do some things that you know that he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't appreciate? Friendship with God is the culmination of our Christian journey and even of world history. So in conclusion, Jesus' followers love God, one another, and the world. It's a way to summarize what Mark chapter 1, verse 17 talks about, where he, he, we, we follow him, we're in communion with the other disciples, and we fish. So we, we follow fellowship and fish is, 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 a, is a way of, of looking at, at Mark 1, 17. And so that is what a, what, a, what, a, what a Christian does. But the point that we're looking at today is that we can't do any of that loving of God and others unless we risk looking like a fool in the eyes of the world. That's to today's point. Don't imagine that you will love God and love others by being applauded by the world around you. They'll think you're crazy. Because according to their standards, you are. And the kingdom turns all of that upside down. And the only way to love is through obedience, through following, through being filled by the Spirit, which means that we need to admit our dependency upon him, and choosing uh, fellowship or friendship with God over just using him as a resource in order to have a fulfilling life. This is craziness to the world, but it's really our salvation, isn't it? How embarrassing to be obedient, to be dependent, to think that you're God's friend. John Wimber, who was the founder of the, of the Vineyard Movement that was very influential, not just in forming a denomination, but really in influencing um, um, most churches, really, evangelical churches in the Western world. I don't think that that's an exaggeration. Um, he talks about how he came to Christ and he saw somebody, he lived in California, and he saw somebody with a placard, one of these crazy people. And he saw on the placard, I'm a fool for Christ, whose fool are you? And he just thought, you know, initially that, what a crazy thing to think about. But he couldn't, he couldn't ignore that. And 
Uh, and that question is being asked of us today. Uh, whose fool are you? Who are you willing to embarrass yourself for? Who are you willing to obey and need and seek friendship with? Are you trying to be, are you trying to have the world be impressed with you? Are, you, are your friends the definition of who you want to be? Is, is their opinion of you matter more than anyone else's? Let's have God's view of us matter more than anything else. And let's risk looking like a fool because of our love for Jesus. I don't know if you've uh, noticed sometimes you'll see a couple in love. And uh, sometimes it looks a little embarrassing, doesn't it? I mean, they're just so into one another. You kind of feel a little bit embarrassed even being around them, you know. Uh, they're a fool for each other. They don't care what other people think. They're in love. Oh, that we would be willing to be a fool for Christ. Not care what other people think. But that we're so... We're so overwhelmed with the beauty and glory of God. We would do anything to be with him forever. Father, I pray that we would decide to be your fool. We wouldn't try to look impressive in the eyes of the world. We wouldn't use the resources of the world to bolster ourselves and to, uh, you know, find self-esteem but that we would choose the path of obedience of dependency of seeking friendship with you in that while the world might think that we're crazy we would say that we're not ashamed of the gospel that we're not ashamed to be known as friends of God Father, let us today begin with obedience. Let us need your spirit. Let us pursue intimacy with you. By your grace, we pray. Amen.